Okay, let's get into the passage. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. I say that often, but this one really is one of them, I think. But let's turn to Matthew 20, and we'll get in there. Um, we, uh, we've been talking for a couple of weeks about um, kind of what the first, the first shall be last and the last will be first, kind of what that means, and again, how it's not a true juxtaposition necessarily, but rather it is just a new non-system of what first and last mean. So again, it doesn't mean if you'll just be last all the time, you'll get promoted to first. Or if you're really good at something, sorry for you, you're going to be last in the kingdom of heaven at something. It's not that. It's not a flop, okay? It is rather a non-obeying the system of the world that places an order of things and has winners and losers and a status, okay? So again, we have that, and we're going to show it again today um, in the second half of the passage we're going to read. But I'm going to start in verse 29. Um, and it says this, And as they went out from Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, Let's, let's just talk briefly about the first part of this passage. So who is the they? Who, who is Jesus going with out of Jericho? What's the group of people like? There's not a lot of wrong answers on this one, to be, to be honest. So you can... Right, disciples in a great crowd. Who's in the great crowd? What's the great crowd look like? It's like the who's who of the community? No, it's not. So they're like neediest of the community. I know Holly's prayer, um, part of that was that God is in the soup kitchens of the world and the places of this and the places of hurt and the places of damage. That, those are the people following Jesus right now. Okay? So again, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus' movement wasn't attempting to be famous, popular, or, or the best and most known, or he would have done it very different. It would have done really, really different if Jesus was attempting to be known. Right? Because right now he's known among the least of these. And that's kind of who's going with Jesus right now. So he's got his disciples, who again, let's remind ourselves of who they were. They're not superheroes of culture right now. Okay? They're young, they weren't invited to school because they weren't smart enough, and they worked with their fathers taking over their careers because they didn't have a lot of promise. Okay? That's who they were. One was a zealot and had probably been a, a part of murder plots and assassinations. One was a tax collector, a traitor, who swindled his own people. This is not the group of who's who's, okay? Well, the least of that group starts screaming when Jesus comes through town and he says, son of David, have mercy on us. What is the big deal about him being called son of David? Do we know, why didn't they just say Jesus, Rabboni, right, rabbi, teacher, prophet? They called him something else though. They called him son of David. Why, is that, why does that matter? You can answer. It's okay. Referring to him as the Messiah. 
the Christ. If you remember, way back in the first of Matthew, there's another blind man who is the first one to see who Jesus is, right? Calls him something similar. Calls him son of David early on. I think it's ironic that the blind are the first ones that see. (laughs) Later, we're going to go through, and Jesus is about to enter this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and they yell things, but then when the crowd says, who is this? They call him the prophet. A prophet from this other town is here. The magician guy, the one who has authority when he speaks, but they don't even call him the son of David like these two blind men. And so they start screaming, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And everyone in the crowd's telling them to be quiet. Jesus has other things to do. And, and here's, here's the way they saw these two men, okay? They saw these two men not just as someone who had a deficiency or a disability or, or even more derogatory. They saw them as people who deserved it. The religion and the culture of that time was, if you had something like blindness, if you had any sort of disability, if you had an issue with your life, if you had uh, skin disorder, leprosy, or any other thing, it must have been something you've done or something your parents sinned and did. That's why you have this. You deserve it. It's not that everyone just has these things fall upon them. It's no, there's a reason. I'm healthy because I'm more righteous than the one who's not. That was the view and the common conception of culture in that day. Very common. It was pervasive through the poor, through the rich, through the powerful and the unpowerful. The people who had, even these blind men, probably searched their life wondering what they did. It also says later, we'll get to it, but their sight is restored, meaning they probably were able to see at one one point in their life and then lost their vision. So again, they would probably every night going to bed, wonder what in the world they did. Or they might remember something, like we all do late at night, that we wish we could take back. And they think, man, I did this to myself. I deserve this. There's a reason I'm blind. It's because of me, or it's because of my mother, or my lineage. My dad did something. Because surely I wouldn't just have this happen upon me. I did this would be what they thought. So again, them begging Jesus to have mercy on them means more than, hey, do a magic trick for me. It's forgive whatever I've done that's made me this way. Something has caused this. It's probably me. Can you just look past it and have mercy on us? That's their cry to Jesus. And Jesus walks up to them, parts the crowd that's rebuking them, and it makes them scream all the more. I like them for that, right? The crowd's like, this is not the time, fellas. This isn't it. Jesus is on his way to do something important. He's been talking about it forever, right? This is the final week of Jesus' life. They don't, they don't capture hold of that yet, but this is it. Jesus is on his way. It says earlier, he sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem to die, and he stops for these two blind guys who are screaming, please have mercy on us. And it says this, um, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be quiet. They cried out all the more, and stopping... Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? What, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's, I want to I talk about that phrase Jesus asked them, this question. 
Because every time I've read this story, before, honestly, before like this week and last week, I've thought of this story as this beautiful picture of this humble Savior coming into town. Because it's right before the next passage we're going to read, like right now, about um, him riding into town on a donkey, which is not how the king should enter a town, <laughs> right? That's what he does. So I picture this just being a part of his like, humble kingship and how beautiful it is. It's like, have mercy on these two blind, and they, they will be beggars at this point in culture. They, they, have, they don't have work. Again, they're outcasts from society. They can't go into parts of the temple, by the way, because they have a disability. They're not of pureness, right? So they can't even go into worship in the same way everyone else. They're ostracized from their actual culture and their self. Their self is broken by their ostr- ostr- being ostracized. Ostracization? What is that word? Ostracization? Is that a word? Uh, we're going to go with them being ostracized because I don't know the word. So, but they're, they're broken because of that. And I've always just thought it was super beautiful that Jesus comes and makes that right with them. I just, I just, I've always been like, man, that's, it says so much about who Jesus is, how humble, about who he sees when he's on his way to something important. Right? We talk about all that. But I was stuck lately thinking about Jesus' question. What do you want me to do for you? And I haven't let myself ask that question of me. I haven't ever, I mean, I I have, but I haven't thought that Jesus walks straight to them and gets in their their mess and in their life face-to-face and says, what do you want? What, What can I do? What can I do to better your life? What can I do that you desperately want, that you need done? And I, you know, I think we have this thing. We all have a something that if we were really pinned down, if we were really honest with ourselves, and we were really at a desperate point, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? We could blurt out a thing. We could say, please heal this, I need it. I mean, I remember what it would have been when Tovin was three. Tovin was three and had his first asthma attack, and it was awful, super scary. We're in the bed, and he's like struggling breathing, and we don't know when's like asthma or when he's sick. We've never had this happen. Neither me or Lily don't have asthma. We don't have any of this. And he's heaving, and I'm like, okay, it's time. We're going right now. And he and I get in the car, and we fly to Dell Children's, which is close to me, luckily. And he still remembers, the part he remembers about that, he's like, you remember when you didn't stop for a single red light? And I'm like, yes, I do. I remember it too well. We go in, and I expected like, hey, we're going to wait a while. You know, my son doesn't feel well. He's not breathing well. So I was prepared to wait, but I wanted to get there quick. Their urgency and the nurses freaking out, getting a doctor there in like one minute really made me nervous and really made me uncomfortable. How like, all the monitors went on and everything happened. And I asked, do you think, you know, when do you think we'll be able to go? And they're like, next week? No, he will be here. He, he, is, he cannot breathe right now. This is not good for you. I know what my answer would have been right then. Hold him in the bed. Like, please help my son breathe right now is what I would have answered. Absolutely. There was nothing else going on in my brain, nothing else in my life. It was, he needs to breathe all the way. Like, this is not it. That number is way too low, apparently, that I didn't even know was a number. <laughs> it's freaking me out pretty bad, and I feel like a terrible parent for not bringing him earlier. The whole thing, right? It's awful. And, I, 
we all have moments where we know what that answer would have been, and sometimes we cried it out. Jesus said, what do you want from me? And you said, please make this better. Make him, her well. Let them leave here. Let them leave the NICU for the love. That's what we want. Sometimes it's been, I just need to pass this test so I can be done with this school and close this chapter of my life, right? There's been times when it's, please, this breakup is too much. I just don't want to feel it anymore. I just want it gone from me, right? We've had those moments. Sometimes it's, please let this anxiety cease. Let the hamster wheel stop spinning so fast. Maybe it's, please help me find another job. I hate this one. Please help me have a relationship with my mother. Please let me fix it somehow. Can you please just intervene and fix this? The problem is, oftentimes, we don't think Jesus cares enough to stop and ask you. So we never cry out. And and Jesus shows that he'll stop for the least of the least in society amidst all the need going on in the crowd, amidst all the people following, amidst the job he is going to do, the like reason he came, he's headed there, and says, no, I care intimately about what you want. What do you want from me? And we have the freedom to say what we want. I think in our evangelical culture, We've gotten so used to saying, well, suffering is God's will. Well, I have to suffer, so I'm closer to God. And you know what? Sometimes those things happen. Yes, God brings suffering into our life, and the comfort overflows. We have those verses. But oftentimes, too, we rely too much on that, and we just sit in whatever we're sitting in and saying, God, help me. I don't like this. I want out of this. We forget asking it will be given. We forget knocking the door will open. We forget he bears our burdens. He takes them from us and gives us a new yoke. We forget those things because we're just supposed to take it like a champ. Instead of just being fed up enough to say, God, help me. I want this. I need this. Help me. And, and see what God does with that. God doesn't ask these two guys, what do you think it is my will for me to do for you? He didn't try to make them super spiritual about it. He didn't say, what's best for the world right now with you? He says, what do you want? And he touches their face, which I think is beautiful too. He could just snap his fingers and say he touches them. Um, and now in, verse, or in chapter 21, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, there Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. <laughs> Go steal these two animals you find near the barn. Not really. Surely they give them back. I don't know. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, I love this. Just in case anyone's like, hey, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing with my donkey? You're supposed to say, the Lord needs them. And they will send them at once. They'll be like, oh, okay, sounds good. What, Lord? No, just, okay. Um, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt 
and put out their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So we have Jesus come into town. Again, this humble king. It comes not on this amazing horse or carried on a weird chariot like you would see in whatever movie. I can't think of the movie now. But it's, it's just a donkey and a one-year-old horse. That's what he rides in with. That's it. And all the folks that live at the soup kitchen and in the shelters, the formerly blind, the currently blind, the outcasts, the ones not allowed to fully participate, are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Do we know this word, Hosanna? What does it mean? What does Hosanna mean? So there's not a lot of wrong here, too. It's like an all-encompassing word, but the, the way they're saying it now means save us, or even in our desperation, save us. Save us quickly. Come quickly. It's like come to the rescue fast. <laughs> it's desperate. This is it's a desperate cry. It's not, you're awesome, or you way to go, he's here, or woo, or anything. It's literally screaming in desperation, we need you to save us. Please, save us. Son of David, save us now. We need you now. This is important. Like, we can't make it any longer if you don't intercede now, is, is the chant over and over. As they put their coats on the road, their dirty clothes, as they put them in the road, as they cut down <laughs> palm branches and olive branches and throw them in the road and say, walk on these. This is, we don't have a carpet for you. We don't have a street for you that we've made within your honor. All we've got is this. So just, just know that we need you. This is us. They let themselves be true and say, this is who we are. We are desperate. Please come. And Jesus walks into town with that. Doesn't come in with the dignitaries, no scribes and Pharisees, showing him off, introducing him to the who's who of Jerusalem at the time. He doesn't go speak and have a TED talk about his salvation and be popular all of a sudden. He doesn't, he doesn't get to go and, and speak to academia and let them know how he's changing their literature and their culture and their history. Instead, he's welcomed into town by the least of these, by the dirty, by the really sinful, by the ones who don't mind screaming in the streets that they need him. That's who welcomes Jesus to town. And so, as we welcome Jesus to us, don't be afraid to be the one that says, please save us. If you don't intercede, I don't know what will happen here. If I don't have you, I have nothing. Please help me. I want to see. <laughs> I need healing here. I need this relationship mended today. 
help me. And in that way, we welcome this humble Savior. And in that way, we allow ourselves to fully see Jesus' humility and watch Jesus show that, yes, in the kingdom, there's no first and there's no last. There's just us in relationship with the Savior. That's the kingdom of heaven that's at hand for us. At hand. So this morning, definitely, definitely, Ah, I agree with you. You're right. Love it. Um, so this morning, we're about to have yeah, even more. Um, <laughs> we're about to have communion together. And what I want us to do is I want to invite you before communion. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to have a liturgy of response up here on the screen. And then we're going to have two songs. And when you feel like the time is right, we want to invite you to come up and get the cup and the bread, and enjoy communion however you see fit. But first, I want to invite you to stand with me. We don't always do this. Stand with me, and we're going to ask, if you want to participate in this, I just want you to know that through whatever means you need to hear it, I want us to hear God saying, what do you want me to do for you? It's okay to hear that. It's okay to give an answer, to have an answer. And and for us to even have some sort of mindset, whatever we can muster, that might quietly say, Hosanna, Hosanna. You're welcome here, son of David. And and allow ourselves to do that. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be quiet for a bit. I'm going to say amen, and then we're going to enter our time of, of response. God, I know that it is too easy for us sometimes to pray for every other thing than what we feel we need the most, mostly because it's hard to confront or we're just too desperate and feel like if you don't answer, what does that mean? (laughs) Or if if I can't muster up the faith, or who, who knows what it is for us. But often we don't hear. You walk to us and say, What do you want me to do for you? So right now, I pray that we would hear this deep down and give you our answer.